0: Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at ThriveCosmetics.com slash Thrive. That's ThriveCosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash Thrive for 20% off your first order. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and What do I even say other than, hey, (sighs) well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now.
1: Hi, I'm Keegan and I'm Madigan and you're listening to your Your angry Angry neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective. Good mornings. it's still morning for us for the next 15 minutes. Miss yes. Keegan. <laughs>
2: Good morning. Oh my goodness. I've had the best lazy Sunday morning. Like I didn't sleep well last night, so I woke up and um like woke up kind of late and then I went and got coffee and came back to bed. And now I have a TV in my bedroom for the first time since I've been an adult. And oh so my gosh. I turned on real housewives and had coffee in bed lazy slow morning.
1: That sounds beautiful. I woke up at 10 a.m. I don't know the last time I have slept that late. It was Max woke me up and was like don't you have to record in an hour and I was like holy shit. Sometimes you Um, do it. (laughs) For real. Well did I mention on the mini episode that we might have something living in our wall? Excuse me? So, yeah, Penny has been waking us up, and Max has – I feel worse for Max because I'm a really heavy sleeper. I can sleep through pretty much anything, but Penny has been waking up multiple times a night, like, freaking out at our wall. And we hear this, like, scratching, and there are these kind of, like, openings outside, um, kind of, like, you know, outside our building up like, the bottom. Uh-huh. So we're wondering if maybe, like, an animal got in and is, like, making a, a home in our Ooh. wall. So – it's not yeah. good. So Max has been having to like half sleep on the bed, half sleep on the couch. If I get up in the middle of the night, I'm up for at least an hour. Um, it's just hard for me to get back to sleep. So That's I was, how it
2: is for me too, as well. Yeah. That's usually what happens is like I can usually fall asleep, but I will almost always wake up in the middle of the night for at least at least an hour or two. Like that's yeah. just my sleep pattern these days. Right.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's have you felt that since the pandemic has started more because for me, yeah. I through my life, I've noticed that I get insomnia when I when my like depression or anxiety is acting up a little bit. Yes. and my therapist
2: uh, said the same thing.
1: Yeah, because when I was in treatment, oh my God, I would wake up at like 4 in the morning and then have to sit in my room for three hours until I could be let out. You know, I would just be so bored. But um, yeah, the same thing has happened to me this whole year where I – Especially if I get up out of bed, like if I have to get up to pee or if I have to get up for Penny for any reason, I'm like, well, now I'm up. So yeah, Mm -hmm. luckily I fell back to sleep. But yeah, that's been kind of like our week. And I tried to contact the apartment people and no one's gotten back to me. So I'm like,
2: okay, they're going to want to because like it's their building and they definitely don't want an animal doing damage in there or dying in there. And because that happens sometimes and then your entire apartment building will smell
1: for yeah. real. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I message maintenance and all that kind of stuff. So I'll have to see what's going on. But yeah, Penny is like invested in this wall in our bedroom. So it's been we haven't had the best sleep, I feel like, in about a week. <laughs> so, yeah. No good. Sleeping no till, yeah. Sleeping till 10 was was nice, but I don't like it. Because I feel, I feel lazy then. It
2: feels like your day is really delayed. And then, like, by the time the end of the day comes, you're like, where did my day go? Yeah. yeah I feel that way as well. Like, I can't believe it's already almost noon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh,
1: God. Uh, All right. So what are we talking about today, Keegs?
2: So this is something that has been... Heavy on my mind to talk about for a while. I mentioned it, I think, in our Ask Me Anything episode that this was something that I really wanted to discuss. And then we did get several people message us on social media saying, you know, please talk about this. This is something that I also went through. I think, um, and I'm sorry I don't have it handy to give you a shout out, but we did have a listener who wrote in and said that they were going through their old things and found all of their old purity books.
1: Oh, gosh, uh, yeah. Of which
2: I could completely relate. I mean, there were a few books, especially in the early 2000s, that were huge. I mean, my mom personally bought me and The Bride Wore right, White, which was Seven Secrets to Sexual Purity. Right. Um, I Kissed Dating Goodbye was a big, big one that well, we Well, that's also what I was asking read. you
1: about because there was a... I watched five minutes of the documentary It was like, give me my money back. It was just horribly made. But the guy that wrote that book, Josh Harris, I think his name is Joshua Harris. Yes. He, he's interesting because he was, you know, the author of all of these books and his thing was that like he and his wife waited and they got married Mm -hmm. and then he was writing books on marriage and all this stuff Mm -hmm. and then he now uh, is no longer a Christian. He and his wife have broken up. He completely, he has apologized for a lot of what he said. He's met with the people that have been affected so I, it, that his is an interesting story from how he's kind of learned and changed since that I'm kind of like look, hype I'm going to it. look into that because don't watch um, the documentary though just read there's an article about it which is so much easier because I rented the documentary for like a dollar on Amazon and even then I was like give me my money back <laughs> it was yeah, not good I, I
2: will um, definitely look into that and look into his story because I feel like having grown up the way I grew up It did so much damage to me um, that I feel like I have like a trauma response to hearing to hearing about that because my knee jerk reaction is to be really upset about the fact that like you you perpetuated these ideas that were actually very damaging specifically to a lot of young women, but Uh men as well. um, And. Now you you take it all back after you've made all this money, you know, perpetuating this idea. However, I realize that that is not a very compassionate or empathetic way to look at it, because just like I was raised. With these beliefs. Um, and also at the time. It was just such a big part. Of Christian culture. Um, and, and American I, I culture as a whole. I can't blame him. I really yeah. can't blame him. And well, I don't, don't want to like put that on him. Because you do learn and you grow. And you change.
1: And, and like he's the same stopped. Way- he stopped the production of his books, too, which is great. So, yeah, that's the thing where I totally have the same reaction to that kind of stuff where it's like, oh, now you're sorry? Now you're sorry? Thanks. You know, I totally understand where you come from with that. I want to say before we started how fascinated I am by the differences, in, the, the differences and the similarities in being raised in the Catholic Church and kind of learning more about evangelical Christians I think that the evangelical world is so fascinating because there's these mega churches and there's mm-hmm. these celebrities and mm-hmm. and it's this money making thing where Catholicism isn't quite the same. It's not the showmanship. It's not the big. It's like, it's very solemn. It's very quiet. It's very traditional. Well, it's, um, it's showmany in a completely different way. Like, it's all about yeah. ritual
2: and and tradition and like, those kinds like, of things.
1: But it's also like evangelical Christianity, I think... Has a because I did. There was a time where I was in high school and I had a friend that went to one of these big churches and she brought me, and I was like pulled in hook, line, and sinker. I was oh, like, of this course, is awesome! Yes, because there's a way of drawing in youth, you know, kids and teens and young adults that make it seem cool. Um, there it's just this the whole world, the whole culture of that religion and what it has become is so fascinating to me as someone who had a very different experience with church growing up like it seems so much more joyful and welcoming even though i know it's i know there's a lot of shitty there is something more where the catholic church i would bring my friends that had to stay with me for the weekend to church and they'd be like this is depressing
2: Right. Yeah. You know, and I felt the same way. I, I absolutely felt the same way um, going to Catholic churches. There was something about the tradition that I found interesting. But for me, it, it was completely different. If I was to have a third podcast, which I absolutely have no time to do. I was going to say, let's
1: not talk about that right now. Keegan. <laughs> it,
2: it would be because I think it's fascinating and I would love to have guests on and I would love to have people discuss their experiences growing up, particularly in the time that I grew up within this this subset of the evangelical movement which was very much there was this pull for young people and they redirected the the church very much Aimed a lot of things at young people. I mean, we had teen Bibles that were like extreme Bibles, right? Like that's literally like what they would say. I'm sure I still have mine with like Um, super
1: bright colors and graphics, like to be like green and black,
2: you know. And I went to a lot of youth um, conferences, but they were very much directed at like literally. It was called extreme. Like that was one of the ones that I went to. It's called Extreme. There was one called Acquire the Fire. Um, these were like big, big, giant um, events where you would wow. go and you would fill these, you know, several thousand, maybe 10,000 people conference halls, um, and there would be, like, music and, like, speakers, and it was all, like, bright
1: lights and and lasers and things that were directed. Oh, I was going to say, like, concerts. I would go to, I went to concerts with a friend where it was, like, they had, you know, some Christian rock group there. And I was like, I had a great time. Like of it was course. so much, it's all kids uh, I mean, my age. We're all like dancing and sweating and like, and it, it was just so much way fun. Anymore. It's not this way anymore. It's, it's
2: very strange because it was such a, it was such a um, specific period of time um that it is it's very very strange to try and convey to people what this was like teen mania ministries um which i went on mission trips with and they also did acquire the fire they had the honor academy which has done a lot of damage to people um but they've gone bankrupt since um partially because of allegations of abuse yeah so so with that when that fell I feel like a lot of this culture fell with it because at this time I mean like Christian music and stuff was crossing over Christian rock music was crossing over into into the mainstream like it was being Switchfoot is a Christian band and it was being played on radio stations I
1: loved Switchfoot because I was Mm -hmm. a huge fan of a uh, A walk to remember so I had that soundtrack and I was obsessed with it Um, do you remember David Archuleta from yes. American Idol. Yeah. Uh, I saw like a video of someone be like, oh my God, remember this song? And then I looked at David Archuleta's Instagram page, and he is a full-on Christian rock singer group um, you know so yeah when you think about it there was a lot of that and also I have a whole section in my notes talking about kind of like the Disney purity culture that was huge when we were you know middle school high school age right, and all that it all, kind of stuff it all played off of each other like that was the thing is yep. Like because this um,
2: evangelical movement was so big to this day I see and I know exactly what the symbol looks like because I was in that yeah, environment yeah. for so long there is a. It? It's not of this world, which was a like it was something that was very much um, uh, perpetuated in like the acquire the fires and things like that. Which this was basically sounds saying, super culty, right? And people still have decals on their cars that I see to this day in California. So I know that this movement. I mean, it was such a huge thing that of course Disney capitalized on that. Um, yeah, and I know that they did so for a few reasons, but part of that was that you know this purity culture along with this like evangelical teen movement that did make you feel accepted and special. um, All of those things, it was crossing over into the mainstream. So it was kind of the perfect storm of, uh, of allowing this to kind of like take over. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay. So one thing that I wanted to talk about first is kind of talking about what, is a yes and a no for the most part in purity culture. And I guess the no's are what I want to focus on here. But, I mean, they say that you are supposed to be completely sexless before marriage. And that even means no sexual thoughts, feelings, or actions mm-hmm. Um and that sounds so frustrating. I just watched um, a se- the series about Heaven's Gate that's on HBO. Uh-huh. And there is one man who was part of the cult who uh, was having wet dreams, essentially, and was... You know, he found MTV. He started kind of having, he started masturbating a lot and all this. And he actually removed himself from the group because he wasn't able to be sexless, essentially. Um, He wasn't right. able to take that away. He felt so guilty that he exited himself from the group, luckily a few days before the mass suicide. But that's besides the point. You know, I, it made me think about that where the feelings of guilt for even having a sexual thought. I would they, right. that sounds Mm -hmm. so debilitating because to me even a sexual thought I mean where where does that end is there even like can you acknowledge attraction to a person can you you know are wet dreams a part of that like I find that part very Mm -mm. fascinating because we we cannot control our bodily functions and we cannot always control our natural urges as people so how do you cope with trying not to have these sexual thoughts. Well, I mean,
2: what they would tell you in the church is that you need to turn your eyes to God. Like, you're not being... You're not focused enough on the Lord, like if, if you're having these, if these thoughts are taking over, like they'll, they'll acknowledge, at least in my youth group, that it's natural to have these thoughts. It's normal and human to have these feelings. Um, but you should, one, not be acting on these feelings at all. And two, um, you need to be redirecting your thoughts and your energy. You need to be spending more what what's called quiet time. Which is when you would um, get out your Bible and read your Bible with, like, no other distractions for a period of time, usually right. like an hour. Um, but you needed to be devoting more quiet time with the Lord in order to redirect those thoughts and urges.
1: That's interesting because that almost kind of reminds me of like cognitive behavioral therapy, which essentially is like, re is it's changing your thoughts. So like for me, I have an issue with a lot of like negative self-talk to myself. And that's all about changing that dialogue within yourself and changing it to something else, which I find it, that's damaging when it's talking about like it's very natural course. urges, yes. having to sit and quiet yourself to train your brain to redirect to something else and deny right, something but, very, you know, real inside of you. But it was all framed. It was all framed as if it was to
2: protect you. Totally. Right? Like your, your chastity would keep you from getting hurt or being damaged
1: or being spoiled, literally, you know. Well, and is that, would that be, were the men told that as well, the boys? Or was that more so just the for men the women? were told that.
2: They were told that as well. However, there was a lot, First of all, there was a lot more grace shown to boys than there there was to girls because they would spend a lot of time talking about the fundamental differences between boys and girls and
1: that... And what are those, Keegan? What are the fundamental differences (laughs) between boys and girls? uh,
2: If if you talk to people within the church, the fundamental difference is that boys are hardwired for sex, that their brains are far far more visual. So, for instance, women um, or girls, because we weren't women. We were right. girls. Um, we were told that you could not be a stumbling bro- block for your brother in Christ, which meant that like, you would not wear certain things. You, you were responsible for not behaving in certain ways. Talking about cause, certain things. Yes, or, that yeah. would cause a, a lustful mind for your brother in Christ, which is right. very, very damaging to put that messaging on women. It creates a mentality that... um If things do happen to you, which I have a whole section of my notes talking about sexual abuse and sexist abuse within especially evangelical circles, when things did happen to you, it was your fault. Because like you were not. You um, were the
1: stumbling block. It was you that led him to do those things. And that's that's what's so frustrating to me is that they're ingraining in young boys' minds then as well that anything they do isn't their fault. So as damaging as it is for the women who are going to be thinking, everything is my fault, everything that I do is my fault, it's my fault, it's my fault. It's also giving men this like, or boys, I should say, this weird sense of authority and power where even if they do something wrong, well, they're hardwired to be that way. Right. So I feel like that mm-hmm. would be, I feel like, you know, the punishment for that, obviously in a religious way, I'm um, quiet time, you know, whatever that would be. But I feel like it wouldn't be taken as seriously because a woman has to actually, in their eyes, try to be that way you know oh she dressed that way she did something where men are just naturally forgiven yes because that's just the way they are right yeah absolutely no and it it was completely
2: damaging so while like these messages were being shared with both men and women um, we were in the same youth group right like these messages were being shared to everyone Um, it was very much implied that Women were more responsible or girls were more responsible for maintaining chastity in a relationship. Like it was basically understood that, like, if you have a boyfriend, um, he's going to try things because he's a he's a guy. Right. Um, And it is your job to prevent anything from happening. Right. And it's like, yes, the communication would be like that or. They would say, you know, you need to have communication within your relationship, and both of you need to be on the same page about preserving your chastity or your virginity. Right, um, but but sometime
1: and, that the boy is going to try something; it's going to happen because and you he's need hardwired to, to do so,
2: and you need to be stronger. I mean, and they would tell you, like I remember specifically, and my mom would have these conversations with me as well. But mm-hmm. we did a we did a practice in in our youth group where. We had a cardboard or like a um, cut out of a heart, right? Paper, okay. construction paper. And you basically would rip, the heart up and hand it out to people and that's what they would say is like if no matter how many if you have X number of sexual partners imagine ripping your heart up and handing it out to all of those people yeah and then what's and then what is left left. over it's only this tiny little sliver is left for your husband right right? that's actually
1: the opening of the documentary about for the guy that did the mm -hmm. I gave up dating whatever that book is called yeah Uh, the (laughs) the beginning of the documentary is him shooting a short film Um, it's so, the acting is just horrible, these poor actors, but it's like a bride and groom standing, getting ready to get married. And then as they're about to say, I do, all these women start showing up behind the guy and the girl's like, but I thought you were giving your whole heart to me. And he's like, I am, I am. But she's like, well then, but you gave your heart to all of these girls before me. And that's such a, that's such a weird concept of not even just sex, but love. Like, that's so weird that you can't give your heart to something or to someone. And you're saying, because I've done that, I've physically kind of taken something from me. You know what I mean? I think that the line between sex and love there doesn't allow any room for, like, true love and compassion. Because you have to hold yourself back for the person that you're marrying, you know? Well,
2: or you you then have to go all in. So for instance, like with my ex-boyfriend who I lost my virginity to after having... I mean, I wore a purity ring. I yeah. pledged myself to to remain um, a virgin until I got married. And when I did have sex with my ex-boyfriend, it then became a thing where you felt like you had to hold on to that relationship. Yeah. Whether it was, whether it was right for you or not because you you were like okay well it's not as bad yes i had sex before i got married but it's not as bad if if this this is is the person person i'm going to marry right right so like you can um you end up being stuck in marriages or relationships that you shouldn't be in because you have this tremendous amount of pressure and guilt associated with sex like Mm -hmm. and 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 Breaking that is is so difficult because you have been told your entire life that in order to to be sanctified in the eyes of God, you have to be a certain way. It's like the love of the Lord comes with conditions right yeah and and you the pressure also within your friends' circles if if your friend' circles were Church also circles, part of that which, yeah which mine were um it, it was the the peer pressure was very 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 difficult and i remember this passage i just i highlighted it in my notes because It is one. It's probably highlighted in my Bible if I were to pull my Bible down right now. And this is where not of this world comes from. Okay. Um, There was a passage in Romans 12 that said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So basically what they were saying in relation to purity culture was exactly what I was saying earlier, which is that. If you were having thoughts that were distracting you from having a closer relationship with God, those thoughts needed to be stomped out Yeah, as quickly as possible.
1: Right. To stay as close to God as you can. Get yes. rid of all those other things. Exactly. Okay, so let's talk about these purity pledges that would be taken. Now, I was really fascinated by these, and disgusted by these, like, purity balls where you would, like, go with your father, and the Mm -hmm. daughter would essentially promise the father not to have sex, and the father would Mm -hmm. promise to keep the daughter in line so she wouldn't have sex, and it's the weirdest thing. This this felt very much like... um,
2: I think this was more of a Southern thing because th- this did not happen in n- places where I was. Like okay. and I, I lived in the Bible Belt, and we had lots of um, mega churches, like big, big churches. And this wasn't something that I was familiar with. It's not uh-huh. something that any of my friends ever did, but it is something that absolutely happens, and it's it's very weird. It's
1: very. Very weird. It's almost like a marriage ceremony as well, because a lot of times the purity rings are involved. And like the whole yes. the whole thing of it is just it's very, very bizarre to me. And then so kind of going on to purity rings. Now, I when I was younger and it was really, really popular, I, I remember I had a ring and it had like a little blue stone in it. And I like called it my purity ring for like a week Um because right, I wasn't because again. It was huge.
2: It was something that was popular, right, yeah, like it was celebrities that, like mhm, and it was a big deal, like I remember my mom bought me my purity ring, that was my question. It. It, was
1: a, it was a beautiful ring, I wanted to know if it was something that people would typically get for themselves and make their own decision about their purity ring. Is it something that parents buy for kids? Like what how do you go about getting a purity ring? Well typically my
2: in my experience, I can only speak to my experience because again, like the purity ball culture, I don't know how that works. I don't know if that's something that dad set up or like what it is. But in in my experience It was something that you had a conversation with your parent about, um, that you were ready to make that commitment. And then my mom and I, um, I actually don't think we went together. I think sometimes people would go together and get their purity rings with their parents. I think my mom actually got me mine. And I remember it, it came in a a heart-shaped ring box, uh, which I probably still have. And it came with a pledge that you signed, um, basically just pledging that you were going to stay pure till marriage. Um, and I loved my purity ring. And at the time, I don't regret having made that decision really, because like at the time it is what I wanted. Exactly. Um, yeah. The, the mentality behind it and all of the other stuff that went into the, to purity culture, I, I will say did do damage to me. Yeah. Um, but it's what i wanted at at the time and it was special to me at the time like i was i was very happy that my mom bought me this ring and it was a little it was a ring that had a heart on it and the heart was like wrapped up like a present like wrapped up like a bow it was like a s- silver ring um so, so
1: symbolic though
2: <laughs> i mean yeah, but you're
1: protecting I, your heart right but i understand the excitement around it because you know i went through my sacraments when i grew up a Catholic, So I got my first communion, baptism, I was confirmed, all that kind of stuff. And they, they are celebrations. It's like you're growing up mm-hmm. in your in your religious self, you know, so it is something that like at the time, if that's something that you're invested in, and that you believe in, it is something to be celebrated. And that's how it how it truly feels. Um, so I There is a company called Silver Ring Thing, and it's a huge company that makes these purity rings and things like this. And I wanted to mention this because I find it, you know, they were a big reason for why like celebrity culture started picking it up and things like that. But they also kind of got in some legal trouble, which is what I wrote about them. Um, So it was an American virginity pledge program founded in 1995 by this guy named Denny Patton. And for a few years, it was partially funded by the U.S. government. Uh, cool. Right? So the Silver Ring thing would use rock and hip-hop-like concerts and events to appeal to teens. Uh, this was their theme verse, which is 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 4. says, <laughs> For this will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. It rhymes. I feel like I could rap that part of it. Mm. That every one of I'm you... I'm sure someone did. I guarantee you somebody did. Even for your sanctification, that you should obtain from fornication, that every one of you Ugh. should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Nope, that's Ugh. not. <laughs> um, and then by 2004, they started like getting big in the UK, but that kind of got mixed results because in Europe sex is seen very, very differently. So I find that interesting. Like, they blew up this silver ring thing company in the U.S. and They're like, awesome, we're going to expand to Europe. And they were like, nah, you can buy porn on the street stands here. Like, they mm-hmm. just weren't as, like... I guess what I read in this article is that they were less anti-sex and less unrealistic about sex. So this thought of, like, pushing people to fully abstain from sexual thought and everything in Europe really didn't make that much sense but like i said they're still getting a lot of tax dollars and things like that so in 2005 the aclu sued the u.s department of health and human services because they believe that srt used tax dollars to promote christianity um so that's what this is really it's fascinating because like especially like if you look at a lot of um like, kind of offshoot sectors of like conservative politics, it's super evangelical. So, this I feel like ties into a lot of that, like, almost kind of like infiltrating your religious beliefs into government a little bit. So, in well, it, yes, I mean, well, all of this happened. There was
2: a very distinct moment in time when politics and religion overlapped. Yeah. where that first started happening because prior to that it wasn't something that happened. It happened I think during um Reagan was the first time that we really saw things like abortion becoming big issues because of the religious right inserting themselves yeah. into politics and becoming like an integral part of it.
1: Totally. And if we're going to talk about that, I mean, if we look at the 80s, there was this like AIDS panic, right? So sex was kind of like the the villain of the time. So I was reading that some people believe that part of why purity culture was able to thrive so much in the 90s and early 2000s was because we were kind of coming out of this like sex panic that suddenly Mm -hmm. this idea of of completely abstaining from sex – of, you know, all of that. It didn't just make sense to the religious anymore. It made sense, I think, to more the everyday human being for why they should be abstaining from sex. And I think that it's interesting how, like, religious movements or companies like SRT, who was getting $75,000 grants from the U.S. government, was able to do that because I think there was a fear also before then of what, I guess, like, uninhibited sex could mean. It could mean death. You know what I mean? It what was, it could it, lead to. Exactly. Yes, and, well, there was and, such a and, scare around it that I feel like it really did, like, put pressure on people, you know? I, I feel
2: like they used that fear for control, like, totally. 100%. Yes. Because yes. Because a lot of this is about control. I mean, I would love to have conversations with people who spent a lot of time at Teen Mania, um, because I spent a summer there before I went to... to uh, my mission trip in Texas. What is like it? On, on the compound. Teen Mania had a compound. What is Teen Texas. Mania? So Teen Mania was a religious. Um, they did all the Acquire the Fire events. They were targeted at young people specifically. Um, they had a thing called the Honor Academy, which is where you could go um, for a couple of years. I think it was like three years. Um, it was a very intensive Christian program. You lived on on campus, which was in the middle of nowhere in Texas. uh, And you, they got into some trouble because like, for instance, whenever I was getting ready for my mission trip, I was assigned a like person who was supposed to be getting me like like, mentally and spiritually ready to go on my mission trip. I would have weekly calls with this person um, and they would also like tell me what I needed to bring and make sure I was ready. And and that was like six months prior, like weekly calls for like six months with this person. And this person was, An Honor Academy student. So they got into trouble because they were basically using people who were paying tuition to do the jobs. You were assigned a core. So he was assigned to mentorship. But you could also be assigned to kitchen. Or you could be assigned to cleaning. Or you could be assigned... So they were not paying employees. They were having students pay them to be there. I was going to say, this sounds
1: so culty like this it sounds like it is it sounds like nexium to me it's (laughs) it's very culty
2: no when i say like it felt like a cult it absolutely felt like a cult like so they got checking in on
1: you weekly i don't know all everything you just said sounded like my own worst nightmare (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they call them interns. So,
2: these Honor Academy students, they sign up for So then of course they the don't Honor have Academy. to be paid because they're called interns. Right? You can be kicked out of the Honor Academy for doing any number of things. Um we were given a lot of whenever I went on my mission trip, they basically said you get 3 strikes for like with for your behavior. For your behavior, but specifically for your sexual behavior, like you, we did side hugs or hand hugs, which is where you like put your hands together and, and clasp your thumb over the other person's Wait, hand. Wait, what?
1: Yes. You would just like we hold were, your hand out and wrap yes, thumbs around and that's yes. considered a hug? Well, cause you weren't, or you could do side
2: hugs, but you were not allowed to do frontal hugs with somebody of the opposite sex. Um, and they, what they would say, and we were in Romania, so we were overseas and they would send you home. Like if you had three violations, they did what was called a BV, which is a bon voyage where you get sent home. What? Yes. And And, uh, wait, 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 wait. So you're, you're young. Like you're like high school age. I was 18 when I went on my trip, but you could be as young as 14, I think.
1: Holy. So you hug a guy.
2: Let's that's say a, you that's get a,
1: that's that's a strike, strike one. Let's uh-huh. say you what what's you something get else holding
2: you, hands under a, a blanket. There's okay, strike there's two. two. Let's
1: think what could be a third strike. I mean, really, like any, a guy sitting in your room after hours, or you know, something like that. If you've already been. If
2: you've already been reprimanded or, I mean, God forbid you're sitting on the lap of somebody or, you know, any of that stuff would be caused to send you home. That is so, So, I mean, it's so
1: frustrating to me because it's also like that to me is just saying like you're not allowed to have friendly relationships with men the only relationships that you could possibly have with men are sexual ones and that's really weird like that's how that sounds well, to me it's just because you don't
2: want to cause your brother in christ to stumble so you can have totally. good healthy christian relationships with a person of the first of all it's very heteronormative obviously well i was gonna say yeah like, all of
1: this is very like believing that gender is binary and sexuality is right, all right. heterosexual. right so yeah. I, I hope that I hope that goes without saying. Yeah, but um, but yes. So you could have
2: healthy, what they would call healthy Christian relationships with people of the opposite sex. Um, but because we know how men are wired, right? Yeah. So you can't sit, you can't sit on your lap, on their lap, or anything like that, because you don't want to cross that boundary. Right. You don't want to take it to a place where it then becomes sexual. Well,
1: right. But then you're cutting yourself off. I feel like from having. Like, I guess I understand what you mean by, like, a healthy Christian relationship. But to me, like, you know, we talk about this all the time, how affectionate we are physically. We're huggers. Of course. you know, Mm -hmm. like, we like to be close to people. And, like, my – I think about my closest male friends, particularly from, like, high school. I mean, we would all lay on top of a bed together and take Uh a nap. Like, there's these things – there's a comfort level that you can feel with your male friends without it having to be that way. It just makes me sad because I feel like that, again, is damaging to, like – after you're married, being friends with another, you know, husband of somebody or having a male friend at work, like I feel like it would just be so much like I'd be I'd be thinking so frequently about not screwing up around that person or doing something that's going to make them think that I'm turning like coming on to them or flirting with them that I feel like that damages the relationship between men and women as well.
2: And beyond that, you also end up with a mindset where you think that you can't help but yeah, make somebody feel that way, um because you are constantly being told that the smallest action on your part could lead to impure thoughts on his part, and that that is one your fault, and that that is two essentially inevitable, short of having as little interaction. Physically as possible, yeah. With with people of the opposite sex, um, so I mean, it, it when I tell you it was a complete mind fuck for me, like as an adult, and it really did mess me up in a lot of ways um, that I'm very resentful of and like very bitter about. Well, like, yeah, as and an I adult. can Im-
1: I can imagine for you because you were talking about going on your mission trip when you were 18. I met you when you were 20, 21. I was 20, about to turn 21. Yeah, Yeah, so that's Mm -hmm. not that long after all of that. Mm -hmm. And I know I've had other friends, too, that have been, you know, very deeply ingrained in religious, you know, evangelical culture growing up that have had to kind of like it takes time. It takes a lot of time, kind of like any other sort of abuse or mind control would work because like you're just you're setting up women in particular for such Failure in life, and I can't imagine how, especially for you, going from Missouri to Los Angeles and being in an acting school and all this kind of stuff. Right, where, and you know, I, I had a
2: live-in boyfriend at that point. That is well. true, yeah. Um, and, but I will say, I mean, that was one of the most confusing times in my life because while those things were were happening, um, I was still when I met you. I mean, I was still reading my Bible.
1: Yeah, like we went to church together.
2: We, we went to church <laughs> together. I mean, I can send you this, this article, this Medium article. I'll send this to you. Um, but it wasn't long after that that I discovered there was a blog um, dedicated to like I survived the Honor Academy. Right. And like a bunch of people got on there and shared their experiences Um, being at the Honor Academy. It was not long after this that everything fell apart with teen mania um, because they would have I know we're moving away from purity culture, but it's all tied in together. It totally is. Yeah. They would have these things. um, I think it was called the gauntlet where Honor Academy students would or interns, I'm sorry, would um, have to it was like a three-day grueling thing. And it was essentially torture. Like, they, they had to um, roll down hills and eat dog food what? and then roll down hills again. And basically, and like until they threw up. Why? Were, why, why, um, why, why, It, was, why, it, was, it why? was training. It was like For pins. what? It was, for what are you training for? For eating
1: dog I don't food know, and like, rolling?
2: There were also like simulations where um, some of you were missionaries and some of you were like locals.
1: Oh, God. Uh, who were
2: having to be like, uh, like converted
1: and stuff. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 So I mean, like it—it it was a very culty. It was a very culty vibe. Have you ever seen? Um, oh God, I don't remember what the documentary was called now, but it was like one of those. Um, fuck. What are they called? It's like the the like, haunted houses, but they're Christian. Yes. So you see people, Mm -hmm. like, having abortions and, like, being raped and why it's their fault. And, like, there was this whole documentary where they covered this, like, huge one in Texas, I think. And it was the most, like these kids are auditioning for these roles and like they're so into it and they're screaming and it's like these like you are torturing your children by putting them through this and exposing them to all of this stuff it's right. just I mean, crazy and, and people
2: did have they had trauma there, yes. was, there was trauma lasting trauma and not for everyone like some people came out of it and thought it was the most impactful time in their lives no, but and everybody I will say-
1: experiences things differently and not and if you're a if you're not making that choice for yourself to get into it and you're being essentially tortured into doing all of these things, of course you're going to have a traumatic response to it. But if it's your own choice, it it can be different.
2: In my experience, most people who decided to go to the Honor Academy or to these mission trips and what have you chose to do that. like It was something that they genuinely wanted to do. um, But why did they want to do it? I mean, like for, for all of us, like what went into that decision was the culture surrounding and purity culture is a big part of this was the culture surrounding teenagers in the evangelical movement um, setting you up for this in the first place. And then you get in a situation where you then are like, is this really what I want? And then you're being shamed. I mean, that was part of, that was part of what I, I did. I, I, very much was involved in this in a real way because I was 18. So I was a mentor. I went through the mentorship program for the mission trip. So I was a mentor to the younger kids and I was in charge of a group of younger kids. I had my own team. And we were told all the time, like, I I had to, I was told I had to go and tell these girls who were wearing makeup every day um, that they had to stop wearing makeup on the trip oh when we gosh. went out because um, it was, again, their their eyes weren't on God. Yeah, they, they were being vain. There was vanity there. Um, and I had to go in and I believed it. And I believed totally. that I was like doing the right thing at the time. Exactly. And they were crying. They were upset.
1: Um, and. But but it's like well this is what you have to do honestly because it reminds me of Nexium so much because it's like you start you start out with it being something that feels really beneficial to you you feel close to God you feel like you're doing something that's good for the world good for you good for people around yes. you and yes. then when it slowly turns into something that's a bit more intense well you've already been shown all of the good and why this is a good thing so you think that well then I have to get through this. Maybe uncomfortable situations, so I can be even closer to God. So I can I can prove absolutely that I have this in me that I'm stronger than everybody else in the group. That I'm stronger than this. That I can be right. the closest, mm-hmm. the best to God. That I can be, and that's when it. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. It's not. It's no longer a choice when you've been brainwashed your entire life to believe a certain thing. Saying yes to something or saying no to something still isn't truly consent when you've been b- trained to believe something in your brain. You know what I mean? Well, I think and, that and that ties into believe, so many other things. If you believe that
2: there are going to be negative consequences. I mean, speaking uh-huh. of of purity culture, um, one of my fellow mentors who I, I like a lot, um, we got along really well. We're still friends on Facebook and things like that. But she broke down to me one night we were there and she didn't want anybody to know um, that she wasn't a virgin that she'd had sex with her boyfriend previously uh-huh. and it was a source of deep shame like and deep what shame. was your
1: what was your reaction at the time to that because I mean my reaction at the time if I'm remembering it
2: well was first of all I did tell her that she should tell the the people who were above us where there was like levels to it. So they were still young people, but like in their early twenties and I was like, you should should go disclose this information to them. I did tell her that, but I I told her, you know, have you repented on it? Have you prayed on it? Have you asked for forgiveness? And if so, then, you know, then the the Lord will forgive you. Like that is what I told her,
1: you know? Yeah. It's just interesting because I know for myself, you know, I, I was never involved in, this amount of the culture at all. But you know, chastity was a huge thing growing up in the Catholic Church. And I still had, you know, my mom lied to me my whole life and told me that my dad was the first person she ever had sex with. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as I told her I lost my virginity, she was like, Oh, no, I got around before your dad. I'm like, Well, you should have told me that like, you know, because I wanted to be as good as my mom. And then I felt bad when I lost my virginity, because I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't keeping myself to the standards that I, that I wanted to. And there was so much guilt around that, but you know, I, that's why I find it interesting because I know that when friends would tell me things when I was younger, um, when it came to drinking, I was very against drinking alcohol as a kid, um, you know, underage drinking and all that kind of stuff, sex, Mm -hmm. all of that, I was much more judgmental surrounding it, again, because of the way that I was raised. Uh, There was a time when I was being bullied really badly in school. I went to a very, very Catholic school with the convent at the end of the hall. And I would go visit my only friend who was an 80-year-old nun after school every day. Mm -hmm. And so there was something in religion at the time that brought me peace and calmness. So it is interesting to think about, you know, our reactions then – to people disclosing these things to us are clearly so different than how we are today. Yes. And I find that so obviously wonderful, but so fascinating too. how much, um, how much like, cause that's so isn't you that response. Like when I, when I think of you, it so isn't authentically you. I mean, that it's, is, in, you know, it's, it's very hard. It's, it's a hard
2: thing to even think about, really talk about, For me, because no, it wasn't authentically myself. I know that now. And I think that that's part of what is so painful is that I was trying so hard to be exactly what I needed to be because not only no did one
1: do not that. only
2: did I think that there would be actual consequences um,
1: with my peers like heaven and or heaven and hell consequences but, but I
2: thought that there were actual consequences in terms of um, my relationship with God and then yes ultimately where I would end up after death like there was real consequences
1: for me um and there's so much fear also that i feel like is discussed like i know with catholicism it's all about fearing god you know that there mm -hmm. is this fear because that's the pressure that you put on your shoulders to make sure that you're keeping yourself in line and that's something about catholicism that turned me away from it big time was the fear aspect of it but I know that that happens in a lot of religions because there is this weight on your shoulders of this isn't just about this lifetime it's about your eternity eternal life yeah it's about yeah and that's terrifying Mm -hmm. to think about especially as a young person and you also have to understand that like when my
2: response was what it was and, this, you know, also when I told those girls like shouldn't be wearing makeup like it in my brain, it wasn't punitive. It wasn't to be mean. It was because we were responsible. We were also told many times like. You have to be responsible for each other and, like, hold yeah. each other accountable
1: and hold well, each you're other thinking up of,
2: because you're protecting them. Like, that's yeah, what you so think. Yeah, so it
1: almost is like it, it's a friendly yes. gesture yes. because you're you're protecting them, you're helping them. I totally understand that. No, I don't think anybody ever does things with a malicious intent if you're a good person. You know what I mean? I just find the responses to... To something where you know this has only been twelve years yeah. since you were living, mm-hmm. you know what I mean so to me, I find it so fascinating within myself and how I've viewed things differently through my life, but also hearing you say it is yeah. very interesting to me to see the differences and how the control really does change you as a as a person you know um so we we are about 50 minutes in and I really think it's important to talk about misplaced sexual responsibility and yes, sexual please. abuse. Yeah. So as we discussed through this whole episode, purity culture puts all of the onus and responsibility on a woman's shoulders, on a girl's shoulders to cover up and ensure that men are not tempted by us. Mm -hmm. But of course, we know... That what you wear, how you act, what you do, what you say has absolutely nothing to do with being raped or sexually assaulted. You could be covered from head to toe. You could be naked. It doesn't matter. Rapists are going to rape, unfortunately. Well, I mean, and And, it's also important to note, like, just
2: as we talk about other people in power, police, uh, things like that. Yeah.
1: And religious leaders. Yes,
2: sexual predators are going to seek out environments where they will be able to find vulnerable people and because. And get away with it too. Yes, and because of the messaging within particularly evangelical circles, um, women were held um, very much responsible for their own conduct um, and it didn't always translate to men in leadership so what they saw there was actually the perfect proving grounds for them to be able to step in um and assault people basically with impunity because they knew that women were going to blame themselves because of the culture that they were raised in they were less likely to speak up about it um so unfortunately this began happening um Well, I mean, I'm sure it's happened forever, but because of the Me Too movements and Time's Up movements, um, it really started coming to light in like 2018, where a lot of pastors, particularly in evangelical megachurches, were starting to be accused of sexual assault and harassment.
1: Yeah, which is, I mean, I think that that's such an amazing thing that the Me Too movement did, was it, it showed women that the things that they've experienced, if no one's ever told them that they were sexually assaulted, if they were told, oh, no, it was your fault, or, you know, if they ever had any sort of other mindset about their situation, there was something about the Me Too movement that I think opened up a lot of women's eyes to how they've been treated in their lives. Yeah. So I could see being a woman who, you know, has experienced especially abuse from, you know, a religious leader, a religious elder of any kind. I can't imagine the kind of guilt that would be put on you because also if we're thinking about it in the standards of, you know, all men are hardwired to be this way, so it's a woman's responsibility. Well, this, let's say it's a man who's the leader, a priest, or whatever you want to call him. I feel like if I were to be assaulted by them, that I would say, well, then I'm the worst of the worst, because this isn't just a regular guy. This is someone who is like a religious leader who's supposed to be, Mm -hmm. so I must have been so tempting or I must have done something so horrible that would lead this man of God to go down that route, right? which I feel like creates an even higher amount of guilt, shame, and guilt than if it was, you know, I I shouldn't say just, um, you know, another member of your church or something like that, but I want to, you know, there's something about the authority in a God-like figure that I think distorts a victim's point of view even more. Right. Yes, absolutely. Because a chaste and sexually pure woman would not have
2: received these kinds of sexual advances. So what did I do? He wouldn't have done it. Right. Yes, exactly. And then
1: the other thing that I was really reading about was, you know, there's no discussion of consent growing up between husbands and wives either and the rate of marital rape is very high and in many countries marital rape still is not seen as something that is illegal or wrong or even real you know so for years you know women are told that you have to say no say no say no don't be a stumbling block but then once you're married you're almost expected to kind of like make yourself available at all and you have to then yeah but not too available Mm -hmm. you know you have to be a good wife and a good mother and a good blah, blah, blah. But if your husband is ready for action, you are then obligated to to do it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't like that's at least what I what I've seen. You know, you shouldn't be asking your husband for it. You shouldn't be, you know, overly sexy or anything like that. But if the husband wants it, there's no opportunity for you to say no. I
2: think those conversations change from church to church. I mean, Uh I I was definitely raised with the belief that sex is something that you can enjoy and derive pleasure from because God God made it pleasurable, um, but only within a marriage relationship period. Yep.
1: I was given... So I was the first granddaughter in like almost 30 years on my mom's side. So when the granddaughter older than me got married, it's the tradition to pass down this book called The Joys of Sex. Oh, yeah. So I was like 10 <laughs> Yikes. when I got The Joys of Sex. And it was like they handed it to me as a total joke. Oh, I went under a table of course. at the party of course. that second and saw all the picture diagrams. But yeah, totally. There is... And you know coming that side of being very, very Catholic too. It's kind of like, well, now that you're getting married, this is the guide. Now you can know about how to feel pleasure in sex because now you're allowed to. Yeah. Exactly. Um,
2: But, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about, purity culture Mm -hmm. absolutely creates this... Culture of silence for women and girls, particularly um, those who have been sexually abused and especially from those in power in the church. And it also promotes this idea that if you have experienced sexual violence, that you are further away from God. Yeah. And this creates so much fear for people who want nothing more than to essentially be god's instrument right like exactly there's no real conversations around rape either um right and so you do automatically assume if something like that were to happen to you that you are impure right without any kind of nuanced conversation about what has happened to you Exactly, um, and I do want to say that the the culture is changing. I mean, millennials have left the church in huge numbers, and oh um, yes, those who have remained in the church, one in ten young Protestants have said that they've left the church over abuse allegations. And um, this is mostly in churchgoers under the age of 35 uh, because millennials are far more likely to recognize what sexual abuse um, is is, and are more likely to um, report it. The younger demographic is far more likely to report than anyone over the age of 35, essentially. Well, yeah, and it's...
1: And it's interesting because, you know, we were in that perfect age bracket to to talk about all the things you've just experienced because it was during the 90s and 2000s where it was so unbelievably... Popular. I read in an article that in 2006, white evangelicals comprised 23% of Americans, and that dropped to 17% in 2016. Yeah. And I'm sure it was even more than that in the earlier 2000s and in the 90s. Oh, yeah. So, we, our age was when that was the most popular, I would say. So, it makes sense to me, especially with how. A much the world has changed for us since we were kids, that it makes sense that we would be the ones to start that change of the drop um, Right from well, that, particularly because of the violence and things like that.
2: And also because what we have seen what we have decided is inappropriate has changed. So 14% of those aged 18 to 34 say that sexual advances from people at church have led them to attend less frequently. And just 1% of those over the age of 65 have said the same. The younger generation is two to three times more likely than the oldest generation to say they've experienced sexual harassment in the form of sexualized sexualized compliments and jokes, sexting and prolonged glances, where I feel like people over the age of 65 simply don't see those things as inappropriate. Like, they just see it as or, part of like, yeah, this is par for the course. The pastor might say that your butt looks good today. You know what I mean? Right, where but even but then, even like, then nah.
1: it would be like, it's your fault then still, where older people maybe wouldn't report it because they say, well, then I'm the one that made them say something where younger people maybe have the mind now to maybe, say like, oh, Oh, no, I didn't make you say yes. that. Why'd you say that to me? You know,
2: I agree with that completely. I think both
1: of those things make a lot of sense because, yeah.
2: But also, like, I mean, it, we see it when we watch Mad Men or whatever else where it's just oh, like, yeah. if a man cat calls you or hits you on the butt or compliments you in some way, in a sexualized way, that it is supposed to be seen as harmless. Right. Whereas like our generation doesn't believe that anymore. We're like, no, 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 this is inappropriate. It's especially inappropriate if you are a person in power over me. Don't send me inappropriate text messages. Don't say Uh inappropriate things about my body. Um, Uh Uh-huh and I will stop going to church because of it, you know? Right,
1: that li- I think that line has been made much more clear yes. as we've gotten older. I think, and that's the thing is that that was, it was so part of the culture. Like, I've seen I've seen a lot of comedians joke about, like, just let old people be racist. They're gonna die. You know, I don't agree with that, but yeah, I think but- it's this thing where it's like, mm-hmm. they're, you know, this older generation that just didn't have, they didn't talk about any of that stuff. None of it was discussed, so men could just get away with, like, Cat calling and comments and that was almost seen as like charming and flirty like the, the yes. whole culture of that I feel like has changed so much as well that I can see where the yes, responses I, and, to it are different
2: and I think that people are starting to actually verbalize and acknowledge how hypocritical it is I think uh-huh. that that is a big part of it as well Is mm-hmm. like you preach this Thing when talking about purity culture, you're preaching this thing that is actually very damaging to the psyches of a lot of young women while simultaneously yeah. behaving in a way that by your own standards would be pulling you further away from the Lord. So exactly. people are far less likely to tolerate it. Now, because the the hypocrisy of it, I think, is something that can't be ignored and people are starting to speak about it. Like, I can't tell you how healing it was for me to find that blog and realize that like, OK, a lot of these things that once I got home and started deprogramming myself, because I was going to go yeah. to the Honor Academy after mission, after my mission trip, because I so wanted to. Right. Yeah. But when yeah. I got home and started deprogramming myself and started thinking like all this stuff that I thought was a little weird. Was it actually weird. weird or am I just being tempted by the world? Am I, Is this uh-huh. just the devil trying to mislead my mind? Um, finding that blog where a lot of other people were sharing their experiences and saying, no, this was weird. This was damaging. This isn't the way that it should be. Um, this isn't the way that God's love should make you feel. It changed a lot of things for me and it was very healing for me. So I think the Internet and social media – have really helped a lot in this
1: way. Yes. You know. Yeah, definitely. I think that the more you can connect, and there is something nice about the internet and scary about anonymity, where I feel like for a lot of people who are overcoming abuse in some way, and I think definitely in religious cultures, I can see where, you know, having a sense of community, I feel like is so big in religion that I can see where a sense of community in coming out of it would be really important too. Even if it's more anonymous and you're online and you're sharing your stories with each other, there is something like nobody ever wants to feel like they're the only one that is having these questions or doubting or feeling badly about something. So that's where the internet can be truly wonderful. Yes. And, and showing you that you're not you're not crazy for thinking a certain way or for thinking that something you went through in your childhood is a little bit weird. You know, yeah, not I mean, for Google. Yeah.
2: And I, I do wanna also say before we end, like i'm still healing from totally from growing up in in that culture uh so to anybody who is still surprised still finds themselves surprised by like certain thought patterns that have been like ingrained in you deeply or you know your relationship to sex is affected mine has been affected like for anybody who's experiencing that, just take it slow and, like, be gentle with
1: yourself. Um, Yeah, don't force yourself to go further than you're ready for. I think that there's something really, hopefully something that can be really empowering about knowing that you do have the power to control your sex life. But I think that can also be something that's really scary when all of the onus was put on you your whole life as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, and I also want to say... This is not saying, you know, I'm not anti you deciding what you want to do for yourself. If you choose that you want to stay a virgin until you get married, then I think more power to you. You have your own reasons for making those choices for yourself and your body is your own. And you can decide who you want to share it with, where and when and how. But just know that like... That is your decision. And it's not about quote unquote, quote, purity, because I fucking hate that that's the word that's used is that women are meant to remain pristine and, quote, pure, and that somehow it it implies that you are impure if you make a different decision. Um, Yeah, you
1: just have a sliver of your heart left over. You know, it's just not true. Right.
2: So I I just want to make that clear as well that, like, I, I want women to be able to make, I want people all people, to be able to make those decisions for themselves without the fear um, of what will happen if they don't do what they're told.
1: Definitely. Yeah, and there's a whole other part of this that I started doing research about, but I think it will be great for us to do a whole episode about sex education. Because I think that is a huge part of it as well, kind of the differences in um how sex sex education has been taught why teaching abstinence is dangerous all of that i think that that really ties into purity culture as well because i mean i my mom taught me about sex through a catholic book you know yeah. <laughs> it was like the mm-hmm. ideas of what you're taught in religion or you know even just how sex education has changed since it was, I think it was actually, maybe it was Reagan during that time, I think, where he started implementing sex mm-hmm. education Abstinence into some schools only. and stuff. Yeah. Abstinence. Yeah. Only. You yeah. know, it is very, it is very fascinating. And I think that sex education as well in schools is important to help make changes for kids in other aspects of their life as well. So I think that'd be kind of cool to talk about as well.
2: Absolutely. And I, I will say, you know, I feel like this episode became less of a purity culture episode and more of just a, um, Religious abuse episode uh, But th- those things do go hand in hand And so if there are things that you wanted us to talk about That we didn't get to I mean we could do an uh, I don't know a lot about them So we could do a whole episode on the purity balls Because they're very weird If, oh, if yeah. that's something I that mean, you guys are so, interested in
1: Yeah and there's so much Legal and stuff and politics That are involved in it as well That I took so many notes on But again we'd be talking here forever There is so much that goes into the purity culture and why it was so popular. I mean, we didn't even get into the Jonas Brothers and Jessica Simpson and all those people who Mm -hmm. were, you know. Jordan Sparks saying that she's not a slut on a a
2: major national TV screen and everybody applauding that, which is not something that would happen
1: today. No, and, you know, all of that is just so, so part of purity culture that we haven't even touched on. So I know that there's going to be plenty more opportunities for us in the future to have More conversations based off of all the research we did from this. So yeah, if there's anything in particular that you all would like us to talk about, if you have any stories, if you've gone to a purity ball, I want to know about it. I want to know your experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So please write us in. Um, I hope that you've enjoyed just kind of our conversation here and kind of digesting so this was definitely no. more of a conversational episode, so I hope you're okay with that, that it
2: wasn't as structured as sometimes it is. I
1: really like this. I like it because I, I like hearing about your experiences because I was never really like I, I grew up Catholic but I was never involved in the church like I was never like going to youth groups or doing anything mm-hmm. like that so all of that is super foreign to me so I personally love just hearing you talk about it because it's something I d- really don't know a whole lot about so thank you for sharing a lot of what you went through I again would love to hear if there are any listeners who have gone through similar things and they want to share their stories and talk about it I would be more than happy to you know read those on many episodes in the future so if if there's anything that you would like to share with us, please go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can follow us and direct message us on Instagram at angry Neighborhood feminist. We have a Facebook business page and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners in the group page. And we appreciate it so, 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 so much. If you could please, please, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I looked it up the other day. We only have 163 reviews. If I compare that to the amount of listens we get every week and the number of followers we have on Instagram, some of you have not reviewed us yet, and I don't mean to pressure you, but it really does help us so, so much to be seen, and we love doing this show, so help us out. If you haven't done so already, leave a one-sentence and a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we will be happy as two clams. (laughs) All right. That's all we have for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to rage on. on. Bye-bye.